This morning, I want to continue, as Brandon mentioned with our children this morning, a message series that we kicked off last week called Christmas Lights. We are taking a few weeks during this Christmas season to pause and to look at Christmas lights and the lights to which Jesus, God with us, brings and shows uh, to each and every one of us. Um, Thinking about this for a while now has has made me think of several different stories in my life. And uh, one of them I want to share with you this morning. When I was about 10 years old, uh, a friend of mine named Justin invited me to go off with his family to their family uh, ranch, to their family farmhouse one weekend. And I remember this weekend because uh, there was many different activities. I did several different things with Justin and his family and this massive piece of land, all kinds of activities. The last night there, though, uh, Justin and his dad, he, uh, we built a bonfire, uh, the three of us, and we, we spent most of the evening around a bonfire. And as, as darkness came over the night, we stood and sat around at the bonfire. Nothing extraordinary happened at the bonfire. We, we talked, we, we told stories, we did all the kinds of things you do in bonfires, and, and we, and we kind of spent our evening around the fire. Later in the evening, Justin's dad gave us instructions of how to put the fire out and what to do and how to do it. And when we were done, put the fire out and come back to the house. He was done. He was leaving. And so in hindsight, I don't think I would ever leave a 10-year-old in charge of putting a fire out, but that's what happened here. And so Justin's dad leaves us and we spend, I don't know how much longer around the fire, but we spend a little while longer around the fire. Then Justin and I decide that uh, it's, it's late, we're tired, we'll, we'll put the fire out. And so we do everything his dad showed us and taught us, and we put the fire out. And so now, the light that we once had is no longer there. And so now we have to get, Justin and I have to get from where the bonfire was to the house. We have no flashlights. There is no light other than the light of the house that's down the way. And we have to get from here to there. And so Justin and I began our journey, our walk from the, where the bonfire was to the house. And on our way, uh, we're walking down a path that we knew was there. And our eyes begin to adjust in the darkness, but still very dark out, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And as we're walking down the path, all of a sudden... A man jumps out in the path. His arms are raised and he is screaming at the top of his lungs at us. Now, from this moment on, it's pure instinct. I, I, I really don't know uh, how I did this or what I did, but what I did is I started yelling back at the man. And I started stumbling back as I'm yelling. And then when I get my senses in all of this, I turn and I run in the opposite direction. Now remember, it is black out. It is dark. And I don't know where I'm going. And I don't care where I'm going because I'm not going to go what the boogeyman is right now, right? And so I turn, and I'm screaming, and I'm yelling, and I'm running as fast as I can through brush, through grass. I'm going as wherever I can. And all of a sudden, I hear a different kind of yelling. As I'm running in the opposite direction, it's not the scream of the boogeyman, it's the yelling of Justin's dad saying, I was kidding, it's just me. I never went back to that place. <laughs> and it still gives me nightmares to this very day. 
Now, one of the reasons I thought of this story, one of the reasons I tell you that story is because, and, and thinking about some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, there's a truth here. That the boogeyman lives in the dark. And scary things happen in darkness. And without light, we live in darkness. And so we're paying attention to the lights to which Christ brings us, God with us this Christmas season, because light is important. It's vital if you believe or you think you might want to follow Jesus in this world. Because light shines in the darkness, and being in the light is crucial. And so, Jonathan read this a little earlier in Luke chapter 2, the very beginning of Jesus' life, there's this literal angelic moment. Jesus is born in a barn by His virgin mother Mary. And when He is born, heaven opens up, Scripture says. And literal angels begin to sing to the earth. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those whom His favor rests. Makes us feel good. Seems like everything is right in the world in this moment. There's hope here. Because now we know here in this place, heaven recognizes what we have always hoped for in this moment. God is here. A Savior has been born to us. It's peaceful. But if you pay attention to the story, the story is anything but peaceful. And this is the thing that has really grabbed my attention this time around and reading through the Gospel's uh, story of Christmas. Is that this peace to which Luke describes in this peaceful moment where heaven opens up and angels sing to earth that there is peace amongst us in this child, this Savior born here. Glory to God in the highest of heavens, they say. That is not the norm of the story, though. Peace, it would seem, is disruptive. Peace disrupts the chaos of the moment. Now, I have four children, and I can remember all four of their births. And in all four of those days, those birthdays, I can remember uh, peace. But it was a very short peace. And I can remember the moment they were born because leading up to that moment, there was chaos. There was yelling and there was screaming and mainly at me. And there was crying mainly for me. And there was chaos of a doctor giving instructions, nurses over here setting up something, and nurses over here taking care of my wife, and all this, hu this hustle and bustle is going on. But in the chaos of the moment, there's something happened here. There was peace. 
Now think about this. We want peace in all areas of our lives. I think. We want peace where things are calm. We'd like peace, if we're honest, where heaven opens up and angels sing. But we'll take no fighting, no bickering. We'll take inside voices if you have little ones, right? We'll take that kind of peace. And what happens, and Jesus' birth is no exception here, that in the midst of the chaos, peace enters. And peace disrupts the chaos. It's not the other way around. It's not a peaceful birth. This isn't a peaceful story. This is a chaotic, strifeful story of a mother and a father. And there is, in all of a sudden, this moment of peace in the midst of the chaos. Think about the story. An angel visits a virgin young woman and tells her that she's going to become pregnant. She's going to defy all nature and bear a child. The Son of God. And naturally, this causes some stress with her and her fiancé, Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. The Gospel records this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The chaos begins immediately in this story. Joseph is ready to divorce her. He's ready to separate her because he does not believe what God can do in the impossible situations. And so now this birth story is, it has strife. It has disruption. It has heartache. On the side of Joseph, later in her pregnancy, Mary's pregnancy, a dictator, the the Caesar, decides that he wants a census. And so now everyone must go to the town of their forefathers to register in the Roman census. This means that you have to go with the male of the family. So Joseph takes his his soon-to-be wife, Mary, pregnant, and takes her from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And on the way, there's trouble. Trouble getting a hotel. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 records this. While they, Mary and Joseph, were on the way, time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Not the ideal situations for a birth. You can imagine the chaos that must have ensued when when Mary went into labor and there's no place to go. So they had their child in a barn. And immediately after the birth of Jesus, word is spreading that a king has been born, that a Savior has come. And so Herod, who's in charge of all the Jewish people, secretly works to find out where this child is. He wants to kill the baby. And it's by the grace of God 
that Joseph and Mary find out of Herod's plans. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, the angel, the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, all of this chaos and all of this strife and all of this disruption is going on. And in the midst of, before and after, of all the chaos of Jesus' birth, there's that moment. And it's peace that disrupts the chaos. We would rather have peace be the norm, but we know in life, no matter how old you are, no matter what your life experiences are, you know peace is not the norm. You know, peace is a fleeting moment. Peace is here and it's gone very quickly. But this peace, this peace that Paul says, as we'll read later, passes all understanding. This peace that comes in the form of a child, it disrupts what is around us. And that's a good thing. I want you to think about a candle. I used this visual last week, and I'll probably use it again. You think about, think about this from the darkness perspective. Darkness, if you, it, it, darkness wants it to be dark, simply put. Darkness is disrupted even when the smallest candle is lit. Because the smallest light disrupts the darkness that is around. And the smallest light illuminates and it gives. Darkness pushes and takes. And so the smallest light disrupts the darkness that is around. And this is Jesus' birth. This, as Matthew puts it, is Emmanuel, God with us. This is God incarnate. The smallest light entering into the dark world. The smallest light that will illuminate and give and it will tear, will push back against the darkness that surrounds us. And in the midst of what is anything but peaceful for Mary and Joseph, there is this moment. This angelic moment that disrupts the chaos, that disrupts the strife, that disrupts the world around them, that pushes up against the darkness. Now, I want to read a little bit of Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Because Isaiah chapter 9 speaks to this idea in a wonderful way. As often the prophet Isaiah does, he speaks to the coming of Jesus He prophesies of His birth of God with us. And Isaiah chapter 9 speaks to peace in the midst of chaos and strife. The prophet speaks immediately to the misery of the Israelites. There's immediate context of Isaiah chapter 9. But as Isaiah often does, he'll speak to the immediate context as he prophesies to the future of God's people. And that's what he does in Isaiah chapter 9. He speaks to the misery of the Israelites in the moment of Isaiah chapter 9. Judah has been laid waste. 
Many of God's people have been killed or they have been enslaved and marched off. The large and powerful empires of the north and the south are squeezing Israel and Judah. There seems to be no hope for God's people in Isaiah chapter 9. And here the prophet speaks, it would seem, and a destroyed Galilee a place that has been overrun, where people have died. And in this immediacy of context, of strife, uncertainty, of heartache, and pain, Isaiah speaks these words. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1-7. through That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zoblin and Napatali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people. Rejoice at the harvest stand like warriors dividing the plunder. Verse 4. For you will break the yoke of the slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. There's a couple of things I want to pull out of Isaiah 9 in the birth of Jesus this morning. First is this. Peace is not simply circumstantial. If you are looking for peace in your circumstances, you need to hear this. You will never find it. It is fleeting. It is passing. It's here and gone before you know it. And if peace is all about your circumstances, then you don't get the peace that breaks open heaven and speaks into the chaos of Jesus' birth. Okay, let's think about it this way for just a second. I'm a visual guy. I like visuals, and so I kind of thought of it this way. Christmas is coming. Undoubtedly, you'll be with friends or family and there will be some kind of meal. I don't know how your traditions go or how these usually go, but there'll be some sort of set-up dinner table, right? The table will be set. It'll be beautiful. And it'll be perfect, especially if you're the one putting the table together, right? 
Now, in this moment, there is peace, right? In this moment, it's a circumstantial moment, there is peace. But once you add the family, things get a little chaotic. There's all kinds of fighting. There might be bickering. There may be disagreement, whatever it may be. And it may be a great dinner. It may be a normal family dinner. But when you add people into the picture, things seem to get chaotic. And the peacefulness is now chaotic and strife in a lot of different ways. What was peaceful is now disrupted in chaos. See, we often think of peace this way, that we have to build the moment, build the space, set the dinner table, have our peace, and anything, one little tiny thing can disrupt that at any moment. Think of uh, another visual to help us think about this. Uh, The Christmas tree. You probably have a beautiful Christmas tree in your home. It's probably lit up. You may even have presents under that tree already. We put our first ones out this weekend, and I thought uh, the joy in the house was going to overwhelm me. Perfect. Peaceful. But what happens when all things go up in flames? What happens when that tree goes up? What happens when what you thought was perfect and right and peaceful is interrupted with chaos and strife, heartache and anxiety? You see, if peace is circumstantial, then you're always going to be chasing your tail. If peace is about the circumstances, then you're always going to be working to set the table right, to make the picture right, to set all things right, And you will always be interrupted by the darkness of the world we live in. And while we should hope for peace, we should strive for peaceful moments, peace is not dependent on your circumstances. Do you know peace can still exist when the family's at the table? When there's bickering and fighting amongst the family or friends or even the world and country. Peace can still exist if your Christmas tree is up in flames. And what you thought would be is different. Peace can exist because it is not based on the circumstances. Peace is a reality when we start paying attention to the presence of God in us, amongst us through us, with us, by us. When we pay attention to the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah calls Him. That small light that flickers in the darkness. Secondly, this. Peace is the present of His presence. I hope you have a good Christmas and I hope you get presents from friends and family. It's a fun time of year for those kinds of things, but more than anything else, more than the presents that you receive, I hope you will embrace the presence of your God in your life. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. 
Which, by the way, says the guy writing from prison. He says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? This peace that passes all understanding, as your version may say, this peace is not circumstantial. It is the presence of God with us. And peace can exist in strife, just like the light exists, even when darkness surrounds it. Even the smallest candle, though illuminating the darkness, darkness doesn't go anywhere. Peace can exist because God is with us. Gospel of John, his Christmas story is a little different. We looked at this last week, but in John chapter 1, verse 15, the Gospel of John puts it this way The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Now, he doesn't use the word peace there, but this is very much so a peace passage. Because light has entered into the world, John says. Darkness cannot overcome it. Why? Because light disrupts darkness. And in the words of Jesus Himself, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus is about to be betrayed. We're in the passage of John where, uh, where Jesus is spending a lot of time with His disciples, a lot of teaching, a lot of prayer coming in John chapter 17. And here's what Jesus says to His disciples at one point. I've told you all this about His betrayal, about His crucifixion, and about His rising from the dead three days later. I've told you all this so that you may have peace. Peace in Me. Here on earth, here's what Jesus says. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, my guess is you'd like peace. You're hoping for a peaceful season, peaceful day. Maybe even a peaceful nap this afternoon. And I hope you get those kinds of things. I hope peace finds itself in your everyday life and with your family. But I also know the truth that there are some in here this morning that have not experienced peace in a very long time. Some of you have not gotten good news from a doctor. You've experienced upheaval in your family. A friend is sick. Things are hard. Darkness seems to be overwhelming, but you must hold on to the gift of God's presence. Take heart. We'll all have trouble. But the light has come into this world.
I'm going to make myself available in the back of this cafeteria. If there's anything I can do, please come find me during the singing of this song. I want to invite you to respond to God's Word, not to me, to respond to God's Word this morning, to the story of God with us, to the peace that breaks through from heaven, the peace that passes all of our understanding, the peace that you and I can hold on to this very day. If there's a need of any kind, I'm in the bag, but I want to encourage you to stand and respond to God right where you are this morning as we sing this song together. Let's stand and let's sing. Luke.